What up, everybody? It's Marcus Grant. It's Matt Harmon. Mike, the fantasy hitman, right? From NFL Fantasy Live on the NFL Network. From the Fantasy Footballers Podcast. And you listen to the No Halftime Podcast. You are listening to the No Halftime Podcast. You are listening to the No Halftime Podcast. You know what it is. No, 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 no halftime. Welcome to the No Halftime Podcast. I'm your host, Neil. This is episode number 50, which seems monumental for some reason, but... I'm not going to treat it as such because it seems like a small victory and small victories are for losers. Welcome to my guest, Adam, a.k.a. the other FF guy, a.k.a. damn that DeAndre Washington take isn't panning out right now. How are you doing today, bro? You know, I just feel honored and, and blessed. I mean, episode 50, you know, it's a big deal. No, to be here. it's not. It's and, not a big uh, deal. It's not a big no, deal. No, I mean, like, I, I get that you could have had anybody, but, you, you you know, you went to your old friend. Um, you, you just wanted to reconnect to, to celebrate this monumentous occasion. And, uh, you know, I'm really honored, Neil. So so thank you. It's for a small me. day, Adam. It's a small day. It's, I just you said know, that. You know, it's, it's only as small as you make it, and uh, I'm making it. I'm making it big. It's a big deal. You should be really proud. Listen, fifty I'll, episodes, man. It, it, it's a huge accomplishment, and uh, I'm happy to be here to share this moment with you. Small victory. We're not talking about it. DeAndre Washington. I'm just glad whenever I bring up DeAndre Washington, when you forget to bring up Capri Ribs, I feel good about it. So, I mean, it's fair. Like you know, DeAndre Washington. The best thing that could ever happen to him might happen to him. He could get cut from your Raiders. This is true. And then you're going to hope all over again. We'll recycle the article, slap a new team name on there, and <laughs> hope, it, hope it all works out for you. Um, so listen, this is a special episode. Like you said, your first time here. Well, but I want to talk about the Dynasty League, and you're in the Dynasty League. So it's your first time for the Dynasty League conversation on the podcast. You've been on no halftime before, actually. So um, we're going to talk about the Dynasty Football League, which many people have come on the league from the league and talked about, but you haven't. So I get to shred your team this time around which is fun because, like, you know, it is a big show because I've been waiting for that moment. Um, so we'll, we'll do that. We'll talk Scott Fishbowl. We'll talk some other stuff. But let's start with the Dynasty League. Let's start with the Island of Misfit quarterbacks. And let's talk about your team, man. Let's talk. You feel good right now about this team. I mean, we did this, this season. We did this draft so long ago. Like, it feels like we did it last year. We did it so long ago. Do you even remember when this draft took place? I feel like it was back in March or something. No way. Was it that? It wasn't. Oh, my God. It was at least like April or May. It was. Here's here's how I can at least pinpoint it for the, the fantasy world is I own Brandon Cooks. When I drafted him, he was a New England Patriot. This is a fact. <laughs> So, so that gives a little context as, as far as like how I felt about the draft and how I feel about it now. Um, I went zero running back, uh, first, first four picks. And in this league, I I gravitated towards wide receiver. Um, it's a league that allows you to start up to five with three different flexes. So for me, I feel like in PPR leagues, it's important to fill the flex with wide receivers. So that's immediately what I gravitated to. And I love my wide receivers. I don't feel the same about the rest of the team. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about this team then. Let's talk about it. You mentioned the flex spots, how many wide receivers you can start. It also is uh, mandatory to tight end. And there's a super flex position. So just starting, your team is Island of Misfit Quarterbacks, right? You got Andrew Luck as your starting quarterback, which, again, when you drafted him, um, it was very shaky at that point for him, right? It's seeming better at this moment, but we all don't know. Um, you also have Tyrod Taylor in your super flex spot. That is, I'm assuming you're thinking he's going to start the year. You think he's going to go all the way? Or you think he's just going to start a couple of games? You're trying to get the most out of him? What's the deal there? With Tyrod? Yeah. I mean, I th- I think that the level of incompetence that has been shown by the Cleveland Browns staff actually caters positively to the Tyrod Taylor prospects for fantasy simply from the standpoint that I think even if they're losing which looking at their schedule I I can't recall exactly who their opponents are but I remember looking at it in the first two weeks are almost impossible for them to win and it's like the first four or five weeks are kind of rough so I don't project them to come out to a fast start that being said, I think that that coaching staff will just cling to Tyrod because he's proven and they've got to try and win as many games as possible this season, I feel like, for anyone on that coaching staff to stick around. So I think just from a standpoint of pure desperation, he's going to start way more games than 
he probably should being the lead quarterback on a team that just drafted a quarterback with the first overall pick in Baker Mayfield. That's fair. And you got Ryan Tannehill to back him up. So when he's benched or whatever the case is, Ryan Tannehill can slide in there if you trust him. But what's funny about what you just said about the Browns, about it being very difficult possibly for them on offense and this and that, you know, there was a quote today that I've seen all over the place from uh, Jarvis Landry, new wide receiver for the Browns. And he said, quote, You'll be lucky if we don't score 40 on you. We can win the Super Bowl this year. So you feel very different than Jarvis Landry feels. Oh, no. It's so funny to me. Uh, Right now I'm watching Last Chance You on Netflix. (laughs) And I, I highly recommend it to anybody who's into football because it's hilarious how much in the third season the coach just swears like, nobody's business it's amazing and i love it um but the reason i bring it up is the team is basically a it's a community college team but it's a collection of all of these division one rejects and that is what the cleveland browns are in the nfl wow they're all they're all like the best talent surrounded by a guy who probably is just going to curse a lot at them and hope that it works wow And I think that the key in Last Chance U is the same key to the Cleveland Browns. They have to believe it. Because ultimately, I think that Cleveland does have an insane amount of talent, at least on offense. And last year, they were a top 10 defense. So they have a ton of talent. Maybe they just have to believe can well, this be a Disney Channel movie? This might be. This just <laughs> might be. I mean, Hard Knocks was there, right? They're there. And it's true. <laughs> it's all coming together, man. This might be a movie happening. If Jarvis Landry has any pulse on the organization right now, listen, man. He says you'd be lucky if we don't put up 40 on you. Some I will words. say, I mean, if they make the playoffs, it'll be an amazing story. If they were to make the Super Bowl or win the Super Bowl, it would be the craziest story in sports history. Like, I don't, I don't know what story could be bigger. So if that's what Jarvis Landry thinks is going to happen, I mean, he might be writing a Hollywood blockbuster. <laughs> the only thing bigger than the Cleveland Browns winning the Super Bowl this year is your dynasty team winning this year or ever. Um, you also <laughs> <laughs> you have the uh, Green Bay Packers. So you have their running back market cornered. That hot running back tandem you have. Uh, Correct. Yeah. Um, you feeling good about I, that? Yeah, I mean, I I actually locked them up uh, prior to the Aaron Jones uh, two game suspension. But what was interesting is it was post our draft. So uh, Jamal Williams actually acquired in a trade. Um, as well as Nelson Aguilar, um, and I gave up in that trade, Jay and Chris Thompson, which um, is an interesting trade. It was a situation where I felt like um, I'm selling high on Thompson. Uh, I, I think that Darius Geis is going to take a, a larger amount of the workload there than I think uh, – think i initially envisioned when i drafted the team um and for me locking up the green bay backfield just felt it felt like a really good option um especially now with the suspension to aaron jones i still like aaron jones more there from a talent standpoint but if jamal williams gets off to a hot start in those first two games i mean i don't see any reason the packers are going to take the ball away from him i mean sometimes that's just what can happen in the nfl and ultimately i think there's a good chance that that does happen again I like having both because I feel really secure about one of the two having big weeks consistently since it's going to be a really high-powered offense. Yeah, other than those two, your only other running back really here is Royce Freeman. Oh, yeah, it's bad. So that's it. It's real bad. <laughs> that is it. So I don't, I don't have depth. I definitely um, – yeah, I mean it's a dynasty league though, and ultimately when I approach dynasty league drafts, my goal is to accumulate talent, and I felt like the way to do that best in this draft was that wide receiver. And yeah, for sure. I mean running back definitely suffered, um, and I'll definitely be behind the eight ball and kind of chasing as the year goes on, but we'll see what I can – Yeah, wide receiver, see. you have Hopkins, Julio, Cooks, Diggs. Cobb, all in your starting lineup, which obviously is a uh, phenomenal, you know, guy is there. So you're good at wide receiver, no question. And the flex spots, if you can start those guys, you're going to be good. And then the two tight ends, you got Graham and McDonald. You feel good about either one of those guys? You feel great about them? How do you feel about them? 
You know, it's funny. When uh, when I drafted Jimmy Graham, I felt way better about him than I do at the present moment. I just Historically, Aaron Rodgers has not used the tight end, um, but he's not really had a guy like Jimmy Graham ever. So it'll be interesting, especially with you know the loss of Jordy Nelson, if all those touchdowns gravitate towards Devonta Adams or if Randall Cobb and, and Jimmy Graham pick up the pieces there. Um, I mean, I just like owning pieces of high-powered offenses, so that's mostly why I gravitated towards the two tight ends that I took, the other being Vance McDonald. And uh, e- even down to my flyer at tight end and Steven Anderson on, on Houston, I mean, I think that Having tight ends and high-powered offenses gives them a greater opportunity to catch touchdowns. And when we're playing in a league like this, where it is too tight end, I just I want to have opportunities for touchdowns. I think that that's kind of the thing to gravitate to with tight ends. And I think each of these three guys has at least touchdown upside based on the offenses they're in. Yeah. Two two questions that I, that I have that I really wanted to ask you. Number one, is Anderson the favorite guy that you have on the bench, or is there another guy that you really like feel is a secret weapon right now on your bench? Uh, then, do you mean just in general? In general, right now on your bench. And then I, I also want to know, like, also, which pick here do you think is most future pick for you? Like, you picked him knowing this year ain't going to be it, but who knows going forward? Gotcha. I mean, as far as the who knows going forward pick, I think it's Traquan Smith. I, I absolutely love the kid's talent. I think uh, heading to New Orleans is such an interesting landing spot because I think Cameron Meredith is easily going to take over the number two role there. And Ted Ginn is going to be the number three guy who plays on the outside in three wide receiver sets and can stretch the field for them. And and he still has his place. So I feel like Traquan is not the guy this year. But from a talent standpoint, oh, my God, like he he just he just. He's an exciting player. He's a guy who, especially opposite Michael Thomas for years to come, I think can just be a really sneaky fantasy asset. Um, so he's probably the guy who I'm most excited about on my bench. That makes sense. He's straight out of Palm Beach County, so I respect it. That's where I'm at. <laughs> straight out of Palm Beach County, straight out of 561. You know, I can appreciate that. So I think he'll do good. I think he'll do good. You got my boy Martavis Bryant, so you're taking some uh, some head cases, I see. You know, just just pile on the head case. <laughs> just pile on the head case. Really, you just, really you just drafted him. Wide receivers, you know, whatever. I secretly think you drafted him just to use him against me at some point. Like, hey, <laughs> every week you're like, hey, you want more teams, Bryant? Yeah, like you know, he's still here waiting. Because I don't think you're going to start him. You'll buy him eventually. I will. It's not a lie. I will. I will eventually get to him. I will. But uh, you definitely don't stand a chance against my team. It's definitely uh, just another team that I'll spank on a weekly basis here. But uh, you got a pretty good squad, man. Not too bad, not too shabby. Very Adam-like. Very Adam-like. Did you change up your approach here? Like, are you in a bunch of dynasty leagues and you changed up your approach, or this is your typical approach, draft-wise? No, I mean, this is my typical approach to uh, to dynasty, is going wide receiver heavy, especially in leagues that are full-point PPR and allow you to flex up to, like, five or six wide receivers. I mean, that's that's always what I'm going to gravitate to. I think that it's easier to fill holes at running back simply because I think that there's more of a turnover at the position, even though the elite running back at this point in the NFL is just, like, such a huge asset. I think having guys like DeAndre Hopkins for as long as they're going to play in the NFL is just going to help me from a long-term standpoint. And I got to figure out running back. We'll I see if I can. I went the opposite way of you, man. I went all running oh, backs. Oh, I know you did. <laughs> I went all running backs. But I still like my wide receivers. I still think I got some upside there. And I don't need a lot of them in the starting lineup because of all the running backs. At least that's my logic. I uh, could be wrong. Definitely. Could yeah, be wrong. I mean, the draft, if I remember correctly, was pretty running back heavy early, which, you know, from someone like me who went wide receiver heavy early excited. caused up. No, I mean, it caused a lot of interesting wide receivers to fall in my opinion. I mean, from where, you know, from where Brandon cooks was in my mind being on the new England Patriots, when this draft occurred, getting him in the third round felt like a, an insane steal. Or I'm sorry. I think I got him in the fourth round. I think I took Stefan Diggs in the third. So I, I mean, there were just so many guys that just, they felt like huge steals. So it'll be interesting to see how the year plays out. I think cooks is the only one that I'm, you know, sad to see the change happen, but I feel like LA is going to use him in some really interesting ways. So yeah. I just got to wait and see as far as that's concerned. Well, from all the reports and of course a new contract, it seems like they like him a lot. So I think you'll be fine, man. I think you'll be fine. All right. 
that's it for the dynasty. You got a lot of time to talk about your team there, man. You got a lot of time to talk about your team. What I want to talk about too much time because your team's just not that good. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what I want to talk about now with you is something we haven't talked about really on the No Halftime Podcast yet, which is the Scott Fishbowl, right? I figured let's wait till everybody is over it, till everybody talks about it, gets their stuff out the way, and then then we're gonna talk about it. So here we are. Here we are to talk about the Scott Fishbowl, which, like I said, I didn't go into real depth, on, you know, on my team yet. Um, obviously, I'd like to hear about your team, your, you know, your logic for what you did. Um, me and you attacked it differently. I attacked it differently than a lot of people. Um, so, you know, I just want to see kind of a comparison between us and see, you know, where we balance out and where we're totally opposite. Um, like I said, I took a totally different strategy. I won't mention the couple of others who did. Because they've been mentioned on other podcasts and I didn't, so this is <laughs> this is my small way of being petty. Uh, this is my opportunity, so I'm not going to mention those guys because it's just not important at this moment. And I, I'm the only one that's important who did this strategy. So, uh, yeah. So I took two tight ends straight out the gate, and I know a lot of people were like, "What the hell? Why are you doing this?" But I liked it. I like how it played out. Let's talk about you first, though. Um, when what, initially did you go into this with "This is what I'm going to do," or did you say, "Let me see how this comes to me first? So what I will say is this. The first thing that I knew once I got into the Scott Fishbowl, um, because it was prior to getting your actual draft spot, I, I knew that Scott was thinking about initially not having a tight end uh, spot at all. The tight end was going to be a complete flex. All the wide receiver tight end spots were going to be a flex. And I've played in leagues like that before. Um, and what I know about those leagues is that Essentially, that just makes the tight ends wide receivers and the you know high-scoring tight ends still have value. But for the most part, it kind of washes out tight ends. So when Scott didn't do that but kept this insane premium on tight ends, which in the Scott Fishbowl this year, uh, every reception for a quarterback or running – or sorry, quarterback, running back, wide receiver is a half point. For all tight ends, it's a full point. So it's twice as many points Beautiful. for receptions. That is such a huge factor uh, that I think went overlooked by a lot of people. So ironically, initially, when I looked at that, I was really excited about the prospect of trying to take two tight ends in the first three rounds. So the fact that you did that and I was unable to do that is pretty awesome. So <laughs> I, hats off to you. Like I, I kind of wish that I could have had a team like that. Um, but if I couldn't have a team like that, I guess I'll take the number one overall pick, which is what I had in my division. <laughs> um, so, so for me, uh, I, I went the opposite route, which in this league, because it is a Scott Fish league, um, this particular league has you know half point PPR, but it also has half point for first downs, both rushing and receiving. Uh, and that, from what we've seen last year in the Scott Fishbowl, when it was entirely based on first downs, really pushes up running backs like a ton. Um, so for me, getting Le'Veon Bell first overall was the idea was simply he's the most proven running back, in my opinion. He's done it the longest. He has the most proven workload. And ultimately, he was kind of the choice there. Um, from there, I took Christian McCaffrey because I feel like from a running back who's going to get a ton of first downs perspective, I feel like he has a really, really high rate of first downs coming to him. And it, for me, starting running back, running back just felt like a better fit at what point I was at in the draft, mostly because neither Kelsey or Gronk fell. So it shows you just how important league setup, league scoring, um, all that kind of stuff plays in, you know, comes into play here because we just got finished talking about a dynasty team where you picked no running backs, basically. Um, and now we're talking about the Scott Fishbowl where you went running back, running back. So it just goes to highlight, you know, how important it is to look at your league scoring, you know, find, you know, the benefits, what you think the, you know, the chink in the armor could be. And you attacked it. That's, you know, for, from your angle, that was the spot to hit. Um, so it's, 100%. Just, it's interesting, you know, it's always important to highlight that because I feel like sometimes people get caught up in just player names, how good they are. And they don't focus it enough around the structure of the league. So you definitely did that, you know, from your angle. And so you got those two guys. Do you have a, so obviously your running backs are strong. Um, do you have a position that you totally hate or like you're like really concerned about right now or are do you feel pretty good about everywhere and just hoping everything goes your way so for me yeah i i mostly i gravitated to kind of building from like an outside in in the sense that i really wanted to have a strong core of running backs and wide receivers so early that's what i gravitated to and you can kind of see that in my draft with my quarterbacks and tight end not being as strong 
Tight end is definitely the position I'm most concerned about. Uh, I waited way too long to take a second and third tight end because ultimately in this league, while it's not a requirement to play multiple tight ends, that bonus of being able to get twice as many points on receptions and first downs for tight end is really huge when it comes to having a high floor. Um, So I wish I could have taken tight end a little earlier. Uh, I ended up with Jack Doyle, Virgil Green, and Luke Wilson. And uh, for me, I feel really great about Jack Doyle. I know a lot of people don't. I feel like he is going to be a huge target hog, especially in the red zone for Andrew Luck, um, with Moncrief leaving and T.Y. Hilton never really being a huge red zone threat. I think that Luck is going to gravitate to his tight ends, and I feel like Jack Doyle having the rapport with him is going to be huge. So I feel really confident about that pick. Virgil Green and Luke Wilson were basically dart throws late that I feel decent about, but... I mean, you can't be confident when those are your three tight ends. <laughs> so you so. feel worse about your tight ends or your quarterbacks? Definitely tight ends. Definitely. I actually feel I'm I'm pretty. I, I would say that I am more confident in my quarterbacks than most people would be looking at them. Um, my quarterbacks ended up with uh, Jameis Winston and Ryan Fitzpatrick, so I've got Tampa Bay locked up, uh, and then Blake Bortles and Sam Darnold. Uh, I think in a format like this. Blake Bortles is the type of quarterback that everyone overlooks, but will way outperform his draft position. Uh, I can't remember exactly where I took him in my league, but it was easily in the 20 plus, probably in like the 24 range uh, as far as quarterbacks go. And I I mean, I could pull it up now to see what he scored in the league last year uh, based on these league settings, what he would have scored last year. But if I remember correctly, he was a top 12 producer in this scoring, Mm -hmm. um, which a lot of people just don't realize he has sneaky rushing potential. Um, and that's kind of why I gravitated towards him. When I took Jameis Winston, it was really, he was the last quarterback on the board that I felt had really huge upside. So with Bortles and Winston, I think that once I'm starting both of them, I'm going to have a really high floor weekly in Bortles that, you know, the interceptions scare me because uh, the Scott Fishbowl has negative four points for interception and negative six points for interceptions that are returned for a touchdown, which is just the most brutal thing ever. Um, so I will not be watching Jacksonville play, but I will be cheering for Blake Bortles in my heart. <laughs> yeah, I think me, me and you both waited like super long for quarterback. Um, and I ended up, I feel like, with like the most hated quarterbacks in the league list. Um because I got guys that I feel like everyone hates. I got Derek Carr, who nobody seems to like. I got Ryan Tannehill, which, of course, nobody seems to like as well. I got Josh McCown, who even his own teams don't seem to like because he's been on, like, 50 different teams. Um, and then the most hated quarterback in the NFL, Joe Flacco. So, <laughs> really, I don't have a quarterback that anyone looks at and says, oh, that's my guy. I like that guy. No, but that's a quarterback you, have like, you have three guys that – probably will start all year even though you and i both want lamar jackson to take over for joe flacco immediately even if it costs your scott exactly (laughs) but uh that being said i mean you have three guys that i i think easily project to start all 16 games if healthy and i think in a format like this if you can wait that long and get three guys like that i mean that's ideally what i have too in between you know the two tampa bay backs and Blake Bortles, if Sam Darnold does end up the starter for the Jets week one, which I think is in the range of outcomes for him, then I have that same sort of setup, and I feel really, really great about that. Um, I think really the goal in a league where you want to start two quarterbacks, especially a league like the Scott Fishbowl that has such even scoring across position, is you want to wait as long as possible while still being able to somehow piece together three starters. Which is interesting because a lot of people will take quarterbacks like straight out the gate. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> straight out the, the gate. Yeah, quarterbacks quarterbacks flew fast. I mean, they always kind of do in the Scott Fishbowl because it is super flex. Um, but it, it is it is always interesting, especially when people do these like mock drafts beforehand and quarterbacks keep falling. And, and yet, you know, as soon as the actual drafts happen, that's just never going to be the case. I mean, people are so scared of getting left with guys like, you know, Blake Bortles or Ryan Tannehill. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. And yeah. with my team, I mean, I love my tight ends. I got Gronkowski, Kelsey, my secret weapon, Jake Butt. And I got, you know, Luke Wilson also. <laughs> Um, my wide receivers I love. I got Devontae Adams, Allen Robinson, T.Y. Hilton, Emmanuel Sanders. I love those four. Um, oh, I got some God, other guys. I love those four too. Yeah. My weakest thing, uh, you know, some would debate quarterback. You say running back actually, right? Because my running backs, depending on how this plays out, 
either leave a lot to be desired or can actually be not too bad. I have Darius Geis. I have Marlon Mack. I have Duke Johnson, who I believe in, man. I still believe in him. I have James White. And my last two guys are more of a gamble. I got TJ Yeldon and I got um, TJ Yeldon and Kenneth Dixon. Those are more just kind of lottery tickets, hoping that, you know, the best situation could possibly happen. If not, then, you know, who knows? We'll see if Yeldon is, you know, flexible at points. But, you know, those are my running backs. I know a lot of people will see that and go, oh, man, it looks horrible. Man, I didn't realize how much overlap we have because I also own Mac, James White. I also own Devonta Adams and Luke Wilson. <laughs> yeah, we do got some overlap. We got some overlap, yeah. man, which is a good sign because, you know, we're smart guys, I think. I, I mean, think. I think, honestly, I think James White was one of the sneakiest picks in this draft, especially because I think those first four weeks – he very – I mean, he's as likely as anyone else to get those receptions that normally go to Julian Edelman with the loss of Danny Amendola not being there. Everybody expects Jordan Matthews to rise up into that role, but I would not be surprised at all if James White starts the season with multiple five-plus catch games. Yeah, definitely I can see it. I can 100% see it. Listen, everyone was high on Sony, man, so I figured there's a chance to let these other guys fall because that's, that's the beauty when people get – you know, fixated on certain guys is sometimes the other guys just get forgotten. And James White was literally forgotten. Um, because I think I got him like the 13th round. Did you get him later than that? Um, I got him I got pretty him. late. Oh man, I can't find it right now. Let me, let me <laughs> I can't, try I can't remember check. offhand. Let me try to check for you. You're a bum. Let me check for you. Oh man. Is that, this is great airtime. This year, a bum. That's all there is to it. I bet I find it first. I bet you don't, because I'm already <laughs> on it. Bang. You drafted him in round 12. 12. So, Damn. Right I was before. so close. <laughs> <laughs> so you drafted him around before me. Oh, you got Marlon Mack, too. Man, you are... Uh, That's what I said. Sneaky, man. Sneaky. Were you not listening to me, like, literally a minute ago when I said the players that we had I in common? I listen to you never, Adam. I listen to oh, you. Oh, this is a great podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you got Mack in round nine. I got him in seven. Ooh, reach mm. reach Isn't city it, it's so interesting to look at the different leagues like for instance i feel like i got larry fitzgerald at a steal at a uh, 412 but i bet you that was probably right about his adp probably probably but yeah i had a reach uh, again we're talking about the scout fishbowl here where in reality there's no reaches at him because you got to get your guys man you got to get your guys <laughs> you got to get the guys you believe in you just have to. It's just the only way to do it, man. Because there's going to be guys that if you wait, especially like for me or even you, you know, there was like so many picks between your next one, you know, because you had the back-to-back basically. So it's like you don't know when you're going to get who's going to fall to you again. You know what I mean? And so when you start seeing guys going before you, you know, who you like, you're like, man, maybe someone's going to reach for this guy. And then in my case, I think Mac is going to be the starter in, in, in Indy. And so I wanted to get a starting running back, and to me, he was. You know what I mean? So it made sense there, um, where in other people's cases, they don't believe he is. And so they don't, you know, they don't see it like I see it. And so they think it's not going to be, he's not going to be the starter. But to me, I was getting a starting running back. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I completely know what you mean. I mean, I was literally just looking up Larry Fitzgerald ADP because I was curious, and I got him right about where his average draft position was. But what's ironic for me is I got him as wide receiver, I think it was 16 in my draft. And especially in this format, I have him at, like, wide receiver 9, I think. But I'm really high on Larry Fitzgerald this year in comparison to the field. I mean, the guy has been a top 10 wide receiver in PPR each of the last three seasons, and yet every single year people are drafting him in the teens. Yeah, it's going to be fun. The Scott Fishbowl is always fun. I even tell people who aren't in it like to just follow it and kind of see you know, how it plays out, You know who's right, who's wrong with some of these takes. Um, it's just really interesting to see the different strategies because there's so many different strategies deployed at this point. Um, with, oh yeah, with, and with 900 teams this year, it's gonna be, it's gonna be wild. I mean, whoever ends up winning the thing is, it's it's such a crapshoot of sorts. But at the same time, like hats off. I mean, you did phenomenal in it last year, making it into the top 10. I mean, that that in itself is just like so insane from the onset of just like looking at how many teams are competing in these things and somehow making it to the end yeah it's one of those things where you're like yeah it's never gonna happen and then like <laughs> you don't believe it it's ever gonna happen until it actually happens you're like oh it actually could happen okay cool yeah for me man a big part of it obviously is you know in the sky fishbowl it's not best ball which i love 
because I feel like best ball is a lazy way to play fantasy football. I know a lot of people love it. I know you love it. But I just feel like, man, you're not if you're not picking the guys to start each week, that's half the challenge gone from this. So, you know, there's the fun part of playing the right guys, which a lot of times, you know, could, can be luck involved, of course. And then, you know, having to hope you guys don't get injured. You can't trade. You know, you can do free agency. Um, but, you know, obviously a lot of luck comes into play. But for me, the biggest thing, it was last year, and it's the biggest thing this year, again, was I was trying to zig when everyone zagged. I wanted to do things a little differently because I, f- I feel like if the guys I draft do well, it automatically, straight out the gate, separates me from everybody else. Um, obviously, the same is said for if I do bad. <laughs> because then that means I'm doing bad, and a lot of people aren't going to be doing bad with me because that's the way I went, only a few did. So I like that, though. I like that risk you know, reward factor where if I do do really good, it's likely that I'm different than, than everybody else who did really good um, besides a couple guys who will not be mentioned. <laughs> 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 will not mention them. But, I mean, uh, that's that's the benefit of doing a strategy like that is there's so few people that are going to have teams that are even similar to yours that when you're playing against literally 899 opponents at the end of the day, having that diversity is going to be huge. So I'll be interested to see like if you make another deep run with that type of structuring. It, it, it is really interesting. It is interesting, Adam. We will see, man. We will see. That's it. That's it for Dynasty. That's it for Scott Fishbowl. I would like to mention just a quick caveat here that Big Ben said he has cut sugar and carbs from his diet, Adam, to help himself be lighter on his knees and his ankles and all that good stuff. We got a top 10 season coming from Big Ben, man. You know, I would not be surprised. He was not a fan of Todd Haley, and now Todd Haley's gone. And he'd always, I mean, even down the stretch last year, he was phenomenal. He has those huge weeks. So I could see it. It'd be interesting to see. And, I mean, props to him. Cutting out sugar is Big Ben went impressive. keto, bro. I know, right? Look at Ben go. <laughs> ben went keto. God, hey, man. man. Neil started doing it, and now everybody's copying it's him. Very, 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 you know, what do you expect, man? What do you expect? What do you expect? Trendsetter. Trendsetter over here. Listen, there is one thing I want to get to you with you, Adam, that I don't get to get to with a lot of guests because a lot of guests either aren't into it, don't know a lot about it, aren't crazy about it, but it's the UFC, man. It's mixed martial arts. I want I want to talk it. about it. I talk about it with you because there's some fights coming up. There's been a lot of great stuff happening recently, although some things have been ugly also. But there's some interesting stuff happening right now with the UFC as a whole. Um, so I want to talk about some of that with you, man. You down for that? Oh yeah, I'm I'm excited to hear what you want to talk about. Where, where where do you think we should start with this right now? We got fights next week. We got fights in the past. We got all kinds of drama happening right now in the UFC. Where do you want to start, Adam? I mean, I'm even excited for this weekend, which is, you know, just a fight night, but uh, Dustin Poirier is taking on um, Eddie Alvarez, which should just be a, a insane fight. Like, I'm looking so forward to that. I feel like Dustin Poirier is making this huge rise up the ranks right now, and Eddie Alvarez is been one of those guys who i mean he's a former champion and he's you know if you can beat him you're in line to face the champion more likely than not so i think it's a huge test for dustin poirier and then next weekend we get the rematch of tj dillashaw and cody garbrandt and i cannot wait to watch tj dillashaw just destroy cody again it's gonna be so good i don't like that guy at all i was gonna say you say it like you don't like him man oh my god i don't know i mean I watched the Ultimate Fighter with the two of them, and it's just – I think that the the squabbles over the fact that TJ used to be um, a member of uh, – I think that's Team Alpha Male, right? The yeah. uh, the gym of uh, Uriah Faber. Mm-hmm. And ever since you know he left that gym, it's just been this insane controversy. Like he's some traitor, and I think it's just hilarious because he's just become a phenomenal fighter to this extent that he's – He's going to beat Cody again. I mean, it, it's it's ironic when we have these rematches because I think there's some statistic about, like, the last 10 straight or something like that is when the champion gets an automatic rematch against the same challenger, they're going to win again. Like, it just it, – history just repeats itself. Like, if you beat them the first time, you're going to beat them the second time, and I feel like that's going to be the case unless something – fluke happens and, and i feel like tj is just a better fighter and man oh if if tj or when tj beats cody i'm really excited for the eventual tj dj match the super fight that that's what i want yeah. i want to see that so bad 
that, man, that's a lot of good stuff. Wait, wait, first of all, you started with this Saturday's card, which you said was the Poirier Alvarez fight, right? Yes, sir. Okay, I'm, I'm with you on the Poirier thing and how he's been made this crazy rise lately. Um, I don't want to see it stop, to be honest with you. I want to see him beat Alvarez here and kind of move forward. Um, yeah, I Alvarez want has that lost, too. Alvarez <laughs> has lost my steam ever since he got shut down so badly. <laughs> like, ever since that happened, I've been like, eh, I'm off on him. Poirier's been rising up. But I did not realize Aldo's fighting tomorrow on Saturday. Yeah, all those fights, Jeremy oh, Stevens, wow. which is a phenomenal how, fight as well. How did that? How did I not know that? I don't know. What's funny is honestly, those two fights are so good that, like, for it being a fight night card, it's a better fight night card than the pay per view is a pay per view. <laughs> yeah, it really like, is. Really, it Stevens really has is. been on a roll like, too, though. Stephen Emporio. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, Jeremy Stevens was. Uh, was supposed to be given an interim bout against um, uh, Brian Ortega when when Frankie or I'm sorry not Frankie when uh, Max pulled out. Uh, they were trying to make that fight Jeremy Stevens versus Brian Ortega for an interim belt, but Brian Ortega didn't want to fight yeah. for the interim belt. So I mean Jeremy Stevens is literally right there, and I feel like that's that's going to be one of those that ah, man if. If I'm playing DraftKings or anything like that, I'm gonna own so much Jeremy Stevens yeah. because I just I think I think all day was just gonna show his age and, and Jeremy Stevens is just like on this insane rise and once he beats Aldo, you know, he's next in line for a title shot after Ortega and Max finally fight. So it'll be it'll be really interesting to see how all that plays out. Yeah, this card is interesting because it has a bunch of guys and gals who have had a rough going lately. And then a bunch of guys who have been like on fire going against them. Like Eddie, Jose, Joanna's fighting. I mean, she's taking it yeah, hard the last couple of fights. You know what I mean? So Yeah, it's a really good card. It is. That's surprising. It's a very surprisingly good card for UFC because they've been getting a little desperate lately, man. It's been seemed a little you know, a little sketchy. But Well, uh, that's what I'm saying. Like, even if you look at the pay per view next week, like that that card's not great. <laughs> it's yeah, not but, it's I not mean, a great card. I mean you got Demetrius Johnson's finals, on it. But yeah. Yeah, but I mean again, same thing. Demetrius is fighting Henry Cejudo, who he's already beat. And it's like, you know, with DJ, it's just it's almost painful at this point because he's just fighting the same guys he's already beaten at this point. He's cleared out the entire division. And like Cejudo's probably gotten better, but I just I I don't see it happening. Honestly, that I mean next weekend I want to play a lot of DraftKings because I feel very confident in both TJ and DJ winning and I feel like those two guys are just going to be locks so you can kind of mess around with your lineup amongst the rest of the fights to pick another four fighters but when I see main event cards like that the last time that happened was the last time Khabib fought and just being able to load up on on lineups just where every lineup you have a guy in there like a guy like dj who you just think has no chance at losing it just it puts you so far ahead of the curve it could be a really profitable way to approach dfs for for ufc so are you more excited about the card for ufc 227 or i know we don't know all of 228 yet we only know about tyron woodley and till but are you more excited about what that card may hold or you think 227 will be better than it? No, I'm definitely more excited for 228. Just, I mean, just for the reasons I outlined. I mean, we're getting two rematches. Those, those are the big fights. Is you know, TJ is fighting Henry Cejudo again. TJ is fighting Cody again. Like the TJ Cody fight is going to be super exciting. I think. I mean, there's so much tension between those two guys, and the first fight was so good that I just I don't see any way that that fight's not fantastic. But I feel like history is going to repeat itself just in both of those cases. So I'm in a weird way, almost even more excited for this weekend because I feel like the three fights that headline this fight night card are all real interesting and, and really do have the potential of like going either way, or at least, you know, being interesting to see like Joanna Young Jacek, if she can figure it out after taking two really, really tough losses and, or if she'll just collapse like Ronda did. Um, and then when you've got 
you know, Aldo fighting. I mean, Aldo used to be the cream of the crop. He used to be the guy that everyone looked at and said that might be the best MMA fighter of all time. And then Connor happened. And now he's on the <laughs> UFC on Fox for free. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't even know he was fighting. Not even in the main event. <laughs> and I didn't even know he was fighting at I know. And that's what can happen. The fall can be so swift. It can. So, like, I mean – they're they're both really interesting cards. I'll obviously be watching both, but I mean, honestly, like outside of the two main fights, and even those two main fights being both rematches, like this pay per view is not that exciting. Yeah, hopefully those main events do something for us. I mean, we yeah, listen, man, you always get you know with UFC, you have some some of the fights that you think are gonna be amazing and they suck, and then you got some fights who we, we think like ah whoever whoever, but it's great. So, you know, maybe we'll get shocked. Maybe we'll get surprised. But just off of on paper, I understand what you're saying. It doesn't look great on paper. I can agree with you on that, Adam. And and with DJ, man, going back to DJ really fast, he's never going to excite us again until he goes up in weight class. That's it. Like, that's really it. Unless somebody comes down or he goes up, and it's more likely he needs to go up and just face one of the top guys or the top guy at the next weight class and prove something, right? I mean, at this point, we're going to be bored with anything else. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, like, it's going to be so sad if he never moves up because he might be the most dominant fighter ever in a single weight class, but that'll always, it'll always be tainted because everybody is just like, why don't you just fight better competition? And And with so many people crossing over, right? Like, everybody's crossing over to win two belts or this and that. Exactly. Why do you think he's not? What do you really think it is? Do you think he's afraid to try it? I mean, do you think that he feels he shouldn't have to? Do you think he's trying to be stubborn and make a prove a point? What do you think it is? I think it's legacy. Oh, man, I don't know. I think that to him, the bigger legacy is to stay undefeated than it is to risk it and, like, be, be teach. I don't know. Like, his argument that TJ's never fought at that weight class, it's like, you know— it, it seems like a half-hearted argument. Like, I, I don't feel like that's his real reasoning. So beyond that, do I know what his real reasoning is? I, I, I got to say that I don't. But, it, yeah, I mean, it feels like there's something to him either being intimidated by the idea of it or not feeling like it's fair. I mean, to be honest, like, the whole weight-cutting thing in general is kind of insane, the amount of weight these guys can put on after a weight cut. So... I don't know, like, if what DJ walks around at and what TJ can cut to, how dramatic the weight difference actually would be on fight night. And maybe DJ is paying more attention to that than the rest of, you know, the average UFC viewer. I mean, that could be playing a factor, but... uh, Yeah, he's a smart dude. It's very possible. I mean, like... I mean, look at Darren Till, for instance. I mean, Darren Till, you know, huge. to bring it back to 228, <laughs> he's, he's gigantic. When, I mean, they literally, they had to set a cap on how much he could weigh when he fought Wonder Boy because he, you know, he came in overweight, which is just another thing that's amazing that it, where we're at right now in UFC in the sense that it's such a money, like, organization anymore that they just want to put on money fights so much that a guy who didn't even make weight in his last fight is going to be fighting for the title. Like, I love Darren Till as much as the next guy, but how absurd is this? Like, he he beat Wonder Boy, but he barely beat Wonder Boy, and he did so in a fashion where, like, he came in not even just a little overweight. If I remember correctly, he was like four or five pounds over. Meanwhile, they take the belt from your boy Covington, your favorite fighter. <laughs> I mean, that's what you tell me privately. I forgot you when we tell on the podcast, but oh yeah, yeah, huge Kobe Covington <laughs> fan. No, I'm, I'm really, I am legitimately sad that I'm not going to get to see Woodley destroy Kobe. But I don't know, Kobe looked real good in that last fight, so it, it'd be really interesting as well. So it's all in due time, right, my friend. Yeah, right now, I mean, you know, in that division, I'm all Wonder Boy. I mean, that's that's my guy. I, I hope that he can make another rise up the ranks after losing to Till and what I thought was a really, really close fight until that last round. But right now, I mean, I guess it's really just going to come down to is Woodley as dominant as, as he wants to have people think he is? And, and that'll be interesting to see. 
Man, you just wait till my boy Sage North cuts a heavyweight. <laughs> That's all you gotta wait for. <laughs> uh, you seen him talking about that, right? He was like, "Yeah, man, I see myself as a heavyweight in the future." Sure. That's what he what says. Is, That's what he he's said. Like he's like fifteen. I'm glad the kid has <laughs> dreams. He's twenty two. Damn it, Adam. Isn't he really only 22? Give him some respect. God, that's insane. This is, a quote, this is a quote from him. I can see myself. I can just see myself keep growing. I'll be 24, 25, growing two, three, four more inches and putting on a lot of muscle. I can absolutely see it as a heavyweight. Sure. Go for it. Don't hate on the golden boy, man. Oh, man. Listen, that guy is so happy. It's like unbelievable. <laughs> it's like he's got to be on drugs. He's so happy. Like, I've never seen someone love life more than Sage Northcutt, Adam. It's impressive. It's impressive, man. Guys backflipping and gymnastics and this and that. It's going to be a heavyweight one day. I don't know, man. I don't know. Are you excited about the Lesnar DC possibility? Yeah, I mean, I guess if Brock can stop taking steroids for a few months, something can happen, sure. You were, fa- were you I a mean- fan of the WWE style? <laughs> <laughs> Call-outs? I mean... It was the most ridiculous call-out in the history of the UFC, for sure. But that being said, I feel like once DC beats Stipe, let him do whatever he wants. Like, yeah. hat off to the guy. That's my favorite amazing. my favorite part when you watch back is when Brock Lesnar slams Joe Rogan's hand up against the camera. Joe, Rogan, <laughs> Joe Rogan's face is like, what the, what, what the fuck is going on here? Like, you just slammed my hand. Like, it's the most hilarious thing ever, the way Joe looks at him as soon as his hand gets bounced off of a camera lens. Uh, it was pretty hilarious. Pretty hilarious, man. I was like, that was interesting. Don't think <laughs> Joe was go- knowing that was going to happen. Oh, Lord. I don't know, man. We'll see. But that's it. That's it for the UFC, man. That's it for everything. We've we've done it all here, Adam. We've done it all today. I appreciate you for being on this number 50 insignificant episode. I appreciate you for choosing me over everyone else for this super monumentous episode. <laughs> Oh, man. Where can people find your insignificant self? Well, seeing as I'm super insignificant, I'm, I'm no longer uh, writing uh, fantasy content. I'm taking this year off, maybe off indefinitely. We'll see what happens. But, uh, what, do you, what, do you, what do you want? <laughs> what do you want people to come knocking at your door? Is that what it is? Yeah. You want us to knock, beg you, Adam? C- come knock on my door. We'll be waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> um no i mean you can find me on twitter at the other ff guy if you want to i mean feel free definitely should it's worth a follow i say some things occasionally sometimes you're gonna want to read it but most of the time you're not and that's just kind of how twitter works (laughs) oh man And, and guys before we go stop this nonsense about khalil Mack not talking to john gruden i just have to get that off my chest stop with the petty stuff guys it's no big deal John Gruden, it just shows me how smart Khalil Mack is. John Gruden can't sign Khalil Mack. They have no reason to talk. Until the con- until the contract is signed, I don't get what you're not talking to the head coach. What are you going to talk about? There's nothing to talk about. People just want to talk so much shit about the Raiders. It's unbelievable, Adam. And you're one of it's, them. You're one of them. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I expect them to have four wins on the season. I think that that's a good goal for them. That's a good bar to set. You know, four seems like a nice even number for them. What's our bet that we have before we get off of here? What's our bet? Just so it's on. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I want this on the air because I think yeah, you're going l- you're gonna to forget it, about it when the season Let's make it su- super official. It, yeah. Um, we've, we've set a certain wager dollar amount that doesn't need to be disclosed, but for each win, and it doesn't need to be disclosed only because we're ballers and we don't want you to feel bad. Continue. I know. It, yeah. It's just, it's so much money yeah, that like, definitely. I mean, I, I can't just go flaunting all my bills. Mm-mm, we don't want to get know? stuck up in traffic nah, because you nah. know what we're balling with. Go ahead. Exactly. I don't need people asking me for money nah. just cause you know, I'm willing to gamble just so much money <laughs> exactly. on, on different things. Like, you know, it just, I, I can't have that in my life. Exactly. So anyway, tell them the, tell it, the bet. Yeah, so this undisclosed number of money, um, we're, we're, number of money. Uh, <laughs> so ultimately, for the Raiders, if they go eight and eight, a perfect even season, nobody gets any money, and it's real sad and dumb. For every win over eight and eight that they somehow miraculously achieve, Neil is going to get an undisclosed number of dollars, aka a lot. 
Yeah, and when they fail to achieve that and go below 8-8, eight and eight, for every game below 8-8 eight and eight that they end up, I get an undisclosed number of dollars. So basically, I'm going to get Neil's money at the end of the year, and he's going to get the sadness <laughs> of the Raiders on top of a loss in money. That is a double negative for me, which is not cool because you have no emotional investment here. None. None at all. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay because I don't plan on losing to you. So I think it, I'm curious what people think about that bet. I'm curious if I'm alone on that or if they are with you. I mean, most people are with you because they hate the Raiders. Like I said, it's fun to hate the Raiders, but I don't think I'm crazy for that, man. I don't How think that bet is do crazy. Do you think the Raiders are going to be – do you think they, they're going to win the division? I'm super curious. 100%. Like, so your your super homer opinion is they they are definitely going to win the division. Like 100%. not even not even be challenged to win the nope, division. They're just challenged. gonna walk away. Who's with gonna it. challenge them? Old man Rivers. Come man, on. How many games do they win? Doesn't matter. <laughs> whatever whatever they need to win to get in the playoffs. <laughs> whatever they need to win to get. Yeah, whatever has them win to the division. Exactly. That, that's fun. Exactly. Cool. That's all that matters. I'm not concerned. All right. The, those seven and nine Raiders are going to win the division. <laughs> really excited to see it. Um, trust me, we're going to be good, man. You're just hating on John Gruden. You're ignoring all of the facts of all the improvement we've done. And that's okay. That's okay, Adam. It's okay. That's it for today's show. You know where to find Adam. You know where to find us, which is at Plano Halftime on Twitter. That's where it's at. It's a new handle, too. Find us there. Don't forget to visit nohalftime.com. We got the blog going. Obviously, subscribe to the podcast if you're not already subscribed. And, of course, download the app. NFL preseason's around the corner, Adam. NFL season's around the corner. I'm excited. I'm excited, man. This this, this is the last weekend without football. It feels like it never ended. Well, you know? it's funny you say that, Adam, because all sports take a break. But with us, there's no halftime.